Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent for EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. Even though it is basically out of the news cycle, the world is still reeling from the events that took place in late August with the American pullout from Afghanistan. And one of the results of that was a huge influx of Afghan refugees into the United States. And when that happened, of course, it hit the news and many churches began to ask, what, if anything, can we do about it? So my guest today is someone who can help us hopefully answer some of those questions. And so I'm going to talk with Tom Shook. And Tom is married to his wife, Gail. They have been missionaries around the world for many, many years. In fact, going back to 1992, they joined the Evangelical Free Church in 1998 and been with us ever since. They were in Mongolia for 17 years. They had done all kinds of church planting and relief development uh, and development. They've been in, in uh, with, with Asia and North Asia, all kinds of places around that part of the world. And currently they're actually working in with our national ministries and they're with the all people ministries in particular with Alex Mendez. And so they are, they are, their title uh, is we're working with refugee immigrant mission and they are refugee mission, refugee immigrant mission advocates. And so we are, I'm so excited to have Tom on with us today. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great, uh, Tim. Thanks for uh, making the time to uh, let us come and share about what's going on with uh, the refugee situation. Well, yeah, and it's important. I This should be very informative for us because I think a lot of us, as we're looking at the news, and of course, it's kind of dropped out of the news cycle, and, and there's other things going on right now, but this is still a huge uh, issue. And a, a lot of churches are saying, hey, what can we do about this? And and there's still a lot of confusion and, and all kinds of ideas. So tell us, I mean, give us a picture right now of what you know about what's going on with the, the, the Afghan refugees. I mean, how many are there are we talking about? Where are they located? What is the situation right now? Yeah. Okay. So what we know so far is that, uh, you know, end of August, right, that, um, that they started to pull out of Afghanistan and the Afghan refugees were uh, being airlifted out of there. Many of them were just taken to Doha with his Qatar. Some of them uh, make it to Rheinstein uh, Air Force Base in Germany. And then we opened up five, five uh, places here in the United States, five bases or forts uh, where they have been coming in. So I'll just uh, list those bases off so you know them. Fort McCoy in Wisconsin, Fort Bliss in Texas, McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey, Fort Pickett in Virginia, Fort Lee, uh, and uh, uh, Quantico, uh, and then Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. So those have been the receiving places for the refugees that have come out that are now here in the United States. So they get here in the States and now they're in, they're being processed and they're coming into your community. Do you know how many about there are? Yeah. So, so yeah, the the numbers are kind of uh, muddled, right? So we know that there's about a hundred thousand that will be uh, here in, in the beginning. So by the end of 2022, there should be 100,000 Afghan refugees resettled in the process of being resettled in the United States. But the, 
the real number is going to probably be about 500,000, half a million at least over the over the coming years of people coming into the United States from Afghanistan. To, so, tell, yeah. And I mean, that is a staggering number when you think yeah. about in its totality. And and but here are people who are who are I mean, this that that number of people are leaving a country that they mostly never intended to leave. And now coming to a country that is totally foreign, totally different. Maybe walk us for a minute through the eyes of a refugee. What what is what is life yeah. like for them? Yeah. So when a refugee, you know, uh, like you said, they basically leave everything behind, right? And then they come into a uh, they come into another country that they really don't know about right they they might have ideas about it like oh it's it's going to be the west it's going to be awesome it's going to be the promised land i'm going to be able to go there and uh, life's going to be free it's going to be easy you know you know it's not going to be that tough but at the same time i'm leaving all these things behind so you have these mixed uh these mixed feelings you know when you when you actually head out right and then he sets in and you have, you know, the feelings that these people are going to have of being embarrassed and lonely and stressed. What am I going to do with the kids? You know, people are going to discriminate against me. Uh, I, I feel like I'm completely incompetent, right? I got, uh, what is it, struggles in the family. Traumatic experiences, like people have, you know, come out of these situations and some of them out of crazy, you know, crazy tough uh yeah, I mean, I've heard crazy stories about what they actually have left, right, and the process of leaving and what that looks like. And then uh, for many, you know, who who don't get airlifted out, they're paying their way to get out of the country. And so they're going into debt, you know, as they're trying to get out. And they basically land here. And, you know, th- that's it, right? They get processed. And all of a sudden, they're plopped down in a community. So they're, they get put in a community and they have access to certain government uh, things, right? Like their housing is covered. They're getting a little stipend to get started. But it's really not enough to, to help people get resettled in the, you know, in the country. And so that's where the church comes in and uh, steps in to help. So uh, the things they worry about, like once they get here, they got to get the language, right? They got to get the kids sorted. I got to get a job. What, what's my housing situation going to be long term? Because I'm being subsidized now, but what's it going to look like in the next two years or three years? And then the uh, transportation, car, how do I access the services? There's so many things. I mean, the stress level on these people has got to be uh, tremendous. And they, and then, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, and obviously, and a country like Afghanistan is so different than ours, but I mean, you're talking about probably a fair amount of people who where, wherever they, when, when they left, they, they may have had income, some status, maybe even some education. Oh, yeah. They had respect and that all of that's gone. Right. Right. It's all, it's all has to be rebuilt. So, so like for some people, right, they have enough, they have social capital and they have money. Right. For some Afghan refugees, it's still going to be hard, but they have some of those things that are taken care of. But the vast majority are coming in with a backpack on their back and they got to start a brand new life. 
So, and, and go ahead, go ahead, Tim. Well, yeah, I was just, because I mean, this is so interesting to me um, because now my mind's already jumping to, all right, so here they are. And then here you are with, as an advocate, tell us what, tell us what that is though. I mean, we'll get into a minute what the churches can do, but, but so you're as a refugee immigrant mission advocate, what, what does that look like for you? So, so, I mean, you know, this is kind of a new ministry for us, right? We've worked overseas our whole life. We've been back here and I was touched, uh, in, um, in 2019, we had the opportunity to go into a refugee camp uh, in Greece, uh, Lesbos Island, and and there I saw firsthand what uh, you know what a refugee experiences. Like they come across, they get off the boat, and they get put in these camps, and then they have these hopes and dreams of of um, of having a better future, and yet they're stuck like in this limbo land, and uh, and and frankly. You know, my heart was broken, just just shattered at, at the uh, at the need, and 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 then the opportunity for the church to really step up and get involved and and help with this whole this whole movement of people, right? Eighty million people on the move, more than any time since World War II uh, in the world, and and um, so, anyways, our hearts were just basically touched by that, and then so we've developed a ministry. Uh, called his refuge, uh, hisrefuge.org. And basically it's, um, it's four things. Like we're, we're uh, uh, wanting to help our churches establish a prayer ministry in their congregations. And so we do this thing around prayer and, and uh, we can just come and help people um, uh, set up like a prayer event at their church to, to educate the church and help the church understand uh, what the real situation is with the refugees and how we can do more. And then we have Experiencing Refugees, which is uh, a part of the ministry where you would go into refugee camps just so people can experience it, come back. Being Refuge. This is where, uh, where I feel like we are right now. The Being Refuge aspect of this ministry is, okay, what can the churches do? How can we get involved? Uh, you know, What are the options out there for a church that's wanting to reach out to the uh, to the uh, uh, refugee community and immigrant community as well, but primarily refugee and specifically now with the Afghan crisis, we really want to do, uh, do more with the Afghan. And then, uh, and then simply the fourth thing is advocating, advocating for refugees, right? So in, in advocating in our churches to how they can get more involved and how they can get educated on what to do uh, to reach out to refugees in their own community. So that that's kind of it. So you can really be kind of like a liaison between the refugee uh, and and the church. Exactly. Yeah. And and, um, and I, uh, with what we've developed under the leadership of Mike uh, Ertman within the free churches, the, is this place a resource place, right? So you can come to us for uh, resourcing. Like if you need help finding the refugees, if you want to know what groups are working with them, how you can integrate you know, so you're not don't feel like you have to do everything all by yourself with other groups that are actually doing stuff and have a long history of experience working with refugees that we can help facilitate and accommodate and help you get plugged in to uh, to those who are who are already working. One of the challenges, I think, with this type of ministry is 
you know, like, for example, we talk about crisis response and even the word crisis. When there's a crisis, it is it's a lot of adrenaline. It's a lot of (laughs) exposure. And, you know, it's the news. It's on the news all the time. It's on social Uh media and it's kind of in the public consciousness. But then what happens is once the crisis is over or the public has gotten sick of it, the crisis still is there. But the impetus or the motivation or the energy that was naturally generated from the event itself is not there anymore. And so I, you know, part of the reason I think that this is important is when, when we talk about this, yeah, it's dropped out of the news cycle, but that doesn't matter. Like we, like this is something that is a long term um, thing. And it r- reminds me of like the Vietnam refugee situation back. I mean, w- in, in fact, let me ask you this. Is there, yeah. Is there any corollary to, to what happened back then? Are there any similarities yeah. or are there some key differences we should be aware of? Yeah, so so I think it's quite similar, right? Except for the, I mean, the religious background is different. But in terms of them coming in airlifted on the ground, the churches were a big part of that, you know, helping the, um, the Vietnamese refugees get settled uh, throughout the United States, particularly here where we are in Garden Grove. You know, we have Little Saigon. And and um, and yeah, so there's there's great correlation. And then you see the value that the the you know they bring into the community, right? So many amazing things that that the the um, Vietnamese community brings to uh, our communities here, you know, too. And and I would say, oh, just real quick, we had a guy come to uh, one of our prayer meetings just recently, and he he was he was uh, after. He was a Vietnamese refugee on the boat, right? He arrives, he's grown now, and he has had like a flashback because he heard about the airlift from the Afghan refugees coming. And he's like had a flashback like, oh, I remember when I was you know, 12 years old and I was on the boat and I was coming over. And, I, you know, we did all to, to get over here. And he's a very successful businessman in the, you know, in the United States now, you know, and, and yet it's like he's like, OK, what can I do? You know, how, how can I help? So there is quite a, a, I think there's similarities there that can be drawn. Well, I love that. Yeah. I love that story too, because there is that perspective that, that when you have, you know, several hundred thousand, potentially 500,000 refugees coming over that in 20 years, um, if, if things go the way they have in the past, these people will be a part of our society. Oh. Many of them will be, will be running businesses, will be a part, they'll have children, they'll get married and, right. and they'll become part of the fabric of our society. But right now in that liminality, in that, right, that, that space yeah. where everything is unknown and everything else, there's a huge opportunity for the church to get involved. So that's absolutely. What, yeah. So talk to so what, like, tell, tell us what that looks like. If, if I was pastoring a church and I'm okay. listening to this and I'm going, okay, Tom, I, yeah. we don't, what we want to address this. Do? Like what, what yeah. Uh-huh. What can we actually do? Yeah. So here, here's a, you know, this is my opinion, right? So there's a lot of different things that a person can do. You could certainly start an English language, you know, an ESL thing in your church, or you could do welcome boxes and, you know, engage a re- refugee in your community. Uh, you know, and, and you can, you can do other things like have a meal at your church and, and invite them and, you know, have a potluck and welcoming people and doing things like that. It's kind of like, you know, you know, uh, one-off kind of things that we can do. And of course, ESL is more long-term. But what I'm really uh, excited about is what they call a, 
um, it's a community sponsorship team or a group. And this is not a new term. This is something that comes out of the, the U.S. State Department. And basically, it's a, it's a group of people that come together and they gather around a family. So let's say your church or maybe there's a small group in your church or, you know, depending on the size of your, your church. And you can get vetted refugee families and you can adopt them for a year. And, and of course, it may go longer than that, but, but the specific term is like for a year. And what you, what you do is you do things like uh, help them get the, um, their housing situation sorted. You can help them uh, help their kids get, go to the hospital or, uh, you know, have their medical needs taken care of. You can help furnish their apartment, you know, help them do that. You can help them get their driver's license help them figure out some of the immigration things and, and really just invite them into your community, right? And, and start to build relationships with them and help them be able to stand up on their own two feet. The, the, the neat thing about the sponsorship teams is that it's not like a, they don't become dependent upon you, right? So there's, there's uh, checks and balances in place where you're helping them, but you're not becoming their you know, uh, giving them everything and taking care of every single one of their needs, but you're help lifting them up in this particular time of crisis. And the church has this, you know, goes back to the saying the life on life kind of ministry opportunities, right? Where you're actually with people and you're helping one another and loving one another and, and serving one another. So for example, so, if I was pastoring, I could call you up. Like I could contact you and say, Hey Tom, help us figure out how to build one of these community sponsorship teams. Yep. And you'd be able yep. to do that. We, no problem. Yeah, we can we can do it ourselves or we could connect you with the people that are already doing it. Right. And and I would help you. I would walk with you and, and make sure that it actually happens. Right. Yeah. So, and I want everyone to hear that, because if you're listening to this podcast and you're in EFCA West, uh, the, Tom is your guy. Like you have, we have a resource. This is one of the reasons we do these podcasts. This is one of the reasons we communicate so much to everyone is because we have these resources right here, sitting here that can at least give you information, lead you to the right place and make you more effective in ministry. And, you know, I would think too, that, that even, you know, your church doesn't have to be you as particular as a pastor, but, but you have, you have someone in your church who, as they're hearing this podcast, they're going like their heart's going, Oh my gosh, like I want to do this. Right. Yeah. Uh, just a heads up that the, um, uh, so the first wave have already come into California, right? So there's an estimated 5,000, little over 5,000 that will be coming into, uh, into California with this first wave. Arizona is getting, a, I think it's like 1,500. And then New Mexico is getting, getting a, uh, I think they're getting another 1,000 or 1,200 or something like that. So it's already, there's a map. If you just Google it, you can see the map where it basically says where they're going. Most of the states are getting some, but the lion's share are going to California and Texas, at least with this first wave. So there's going to be, they're, they're going to be coming into your community. Yeah. Because, sure. because just because they get there, I mean, they can, they'll get there and then, but they could move anywhere in the U S right. Yeah. After that, after the, yeah, after their vetting time is over, right. The, I think it's a year or maybe a little longer than that. And so you, then they have freedom of movement. You talked about some of the, 
Well, the, so the long-term thing is that community sponsorship team where you would adopt a family. So again, I want people to hear. I mean, this isn't something you have to do on your own. You call Tom, Tom and Gail. They can right. walk you through this. They can help you understand, get into the really uh, intricate parts of it and connect you with, because I wouldn't even know like where to start. Like, who do you, who do you call? Like, how do you find a refugee? Right? Right. I can help with that. Yeah. Yeah. He yep. can help you yep. figure that out. But then there's also, you said these one-off things that might even be for churches that are going, okay, we're not sure. Cause again, that's what I was saying before. You really have to be, you kind of have to have some forethought too, of like, we're going to make a commitment and we can't just back out a month after, but there are a few one-off, you know, or, or I guess short-term things that you can do. And so you talked about ESL. So that's an English second language class that you could teach, right? How does that work? Yeah. So, so, I mean, this is something that, that, uh, I mean, many churches are, are coming up to speed on and realizing it's such a great need and it's such a great way to have people come into the church. Right. So, um, so particularly at Calvary church where I am, we, we have got our ESL class, um, that they're, they only teach once a week. So you could do more than that, but they only teach once a week as it is. And it's primarily among our Latin, uh, the Latin community, but the uh, refugees and, and different people also are uh, welcome and part of that. But, um, but that's where, you know, for, for us, we have the, we have our Spanish speaking church that meets, you know, there are the two churches at the two church, but one church. And, uh, and it's just a natural liaison uh, where the Spanish-speaking people wanting to learn English then get connected with the Spanish-speaking church, right? And we're already seeing fruit from that kind of thing just happening among the Latino population. With, with the refugee situation, it's going to be the same thing uh, where, you know, proximity, right? So if they come onto your campus and you're, and you're teaching English, you, you have the potential to reach them, you know, with, with the gospel. So, for, for me, the ESL is simply they have curriculum. You know, it's easy to get the curriculum. We can help you with that. And if you want to set up an ESL thing in your church, we could come by and and uh, help facilitate that for you too. And then, yeah, and then you you saw you talked about welcome boxes. So what would like? I mean, again, just getting down into the practical. What does something yeah, like the, that look the nitty like? Gritty. Yeah. So, so basically, let's say you get a you get an address of somebody that's in your community. You put together stuff. For the baby and you know for whatever the you know clothing and just welcome gifts and different things and you just show up on their doorstep and say here we've got this and you know maybe let them know where the church is and that we're excited for you to be here and uh, it's, uh, something that some people might want to check out particularly the, the pastors is um, welcome church UK welcome church UK it's it's a it's the Brits and and uh, they've got something going where they've networked the churches together, and it's all about welcoming welcoming the refugees into their uh, into their communities. But basically, it's just showing up with something in your hands, tangible. You know, being careful, making sure you're you know you don't put pork and you don't have you know you got to be careful about what you put in it. We can help you think that through, uh, but but that you just give them a box and welcome them to the community. We, when you talk about the the different opportunities, and it's certainly the community, the community um, sub- sponsorship team, and how that would be more of a long term relationship thing. I know one of the things that has come up, and uh, you know, has been okay. There's been the news has said 
okay, we we know all these people. I mean, they were just at the end. I think they were just letting anyone get that could get there get on the plane. And that that actually was a real. What I heard was that was that caused all kinds of problems because then there was people that that like a lot of these people that that got on the plane maybe necessarily weren't registered or vetted or whatever. And then the people that were supposed to go, like that's why a lot of them got left behind. And there's all kinds of chaos or whatever else. But so there is there is out there. A, a concern of, hey, this is because on the one hand, it's like, oh, gosh, this is a refugee. They lost everything. And this whole terrible yeah, thing yeah. happened and we want to be there. But we're also talking about humanity here and we're all born <laughs> sinners and we we have processes, but we don't we don't necessarily know. So talk to us about the vetting and what should we be aware of about that process? What's gone on so far? What are you hearing, you know, with, with that situation? Right. OK, so. As, uh, as far as the, the betting goes, so <clears throat> whether or not people got here or not, you know, uh, that that are potential terrorists or things like that. Right. It's like I don't I don't really know. Right. I, I mean, we, we know that their potential is there. <clears throat> I have not heard I haven't heard a peep about it, you know, other than what I hear see on the news uh, as well. But <clears throat> what I do know is that the groups that we're working with that um, they go through a government process, right? So, so they come, whether it's with the base in Doha or Germany or whether it's the bases here in the U.S., they're here and they are vetted, right? So, so they go through a process of interviews and vetting. And then once they have satisfied that criteria, then they are released into the system of, uh, what is it, resettlement of refugees, Right. So in the resettlement of refugees, then that system that is government is basically overwhelmed. Right. So we have so many now coming in that that there there's no way that their resettlement process can handle all of the people. And so that's where they're reaching out to these other faith based groups that they would, you know, maybe maybe want to shy away from based on the sheer numbers, they have no choice but to allow the faith-based groups to, uh, to become involved. And, and, and historically, it's the faith-based groups that have been uh, done a lot with refugees. So in terms of the vetting, I, I would just say that, that they are vetted. Yeah, I always, I always love that, when, when your comment about partnering with faith-based groups, because I've learned that, yeah. you know, the separation of church and state is like a really important thing to the government until they need something from the church. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, no, we don't mean that, you know. And, like, I've just experienced that at, like, the local level all the time, like when our local communities, and we offer to go, right. you know, can't we cancel church and go, like, paint schools and right. stuff. And, you know, right. they're, like, bringing us, you know, refreshments. And it's like, well, aren't, we're not really supposed to partner. Like, oh, yeah, but no, it's great. You know, it's just it's just kind of funny how those lines get really blurry. And it's good. It's, that's the way it should be. Well, 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 you know, it's so wild, right? So if you look at the history, like uh, with refugees coming to the United States. So back to the early 1900s, when you had the, um, uh, you had the Ottoman, the fall of the Ottoman Empire and the slaughter of the Armenians, you know, the, the, the America took them in and, and the faith-based groups all working in unison with the government, you know, you go forward, fast forward to the Holocaust. It's the same thing. Government and the faith-based groups working in concert, even as far as, you know, when we were dealing with the um, with the Vietnamese refugees and, the you know, it's always been the church and, the you know, there, there was not this big delineation, right? So, but since, you know, now, right, 
there, there's been so much pressure put to create this big divide between the church jumping in and helping, right? Unless there's this great need that overwhelms them. That, that I think uh, uh, many of us faith-based, pe- faith-based groups are like, now we're a little bit sketch, you know, we're like a little bit worried about it. Like, what can we do or what, what are the things that we can do, right? And, and it's like, no, man, we're the church. We're going to step in that gap and we're going to do what, what God calls to, you know, to treat the foreigner as if they were uh, ours. Yeah, know? well, right. But it's a, it's a concern. Like when you have the Samaritan's yeah. Purse you know, is set up at in the park in New York to try to help relieve the overwhelming hospital problems from COVID and they're getting criticized. Well, you can't let them them in because they're Christians. And it's like, uh, there's people dying right here. Can we just hash that out later? But, but yeah, so, but, (laughs) but that, but see the theme of that though, is that, is that in a time when they're, this is a huge opportunity for the church and that's what we have. Yeah. So we've really got to capture. So we, again, vetting what I want everyone to hear about that, just to get back to that. And we're going to hear stories. In fact, I did hear a story about a crime that was committed by a refugee, but it was at a military installation. And so what you're saying is that once they you know, it's not. It's not, it's not like they land and then there's like, all right, see you later. They they have to. They they're going to be staying in these installations that you talked about until that vetting process. And you know, you can question the vetting process, but it it's whatever they say it's going to be. And are, this person is safe to release into the community. Then they go to the next step of you know what right. you said before, and then that's when the faith based people can start engaging with them. Right. And, yeah. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, at, at the end of the day, our the refugee is here. Right. And and we have the answer. We have we got Christ. We have Jesus. Right. So it's it's let's just jump in the pool and let's just get going and see and see what we can do. Well, yeah, exactly. And I feel like that that's the same thing with and we talked about this with the immigration issue. I mean, in my church, we have. We have people working for the Border Patrol, and I, I've always been like, hey, oh, yeah. you know, listen, you got to do your job, and we, we support you, and we're, we're grateful for you and everything else. Um, I have no problem. I mean, I'm, I serve in the military as a, as a chaplain. I mean, I'm very much believing in, you know, we have systems and sure. structures, but, but, but as a Christian— it, like I don't need to if, if unless I'm working for the border patrol I don't need to ask right. that question they're like you said they're here uh-huh. right and so right. that's that's the beautiful thing about it it's like well my job isn't my job isn't to vet them that's what vetting organizations are for my job isn't to tell them to go back where they came from that's you know that's that's not my that's not my job my job is they're here and it's better it's better for me and them and the world if we engage with each other and we just kind of don't need to necessarily uh, go there so we, at least when it comes to the immigration thing, it's like, you know, and I know, I yeah. believe me, I know there's, yeah. it's, a, it's a sticky issue with, with that, yeah. but, but, but I want to ask this question though, because it does spill into the next huge topic, which has to do with the subject of cultural intelligence. And, you know, you, you touched on this a few minutes ago, but what are some of the things that, that as, as Americans, if Americans are going to engage with Afghan refugees, what are some of the cultural intelligence things that that should they should be aware of? Well, I mean, so so this you know this goes back to um, our views of missions in general, right? With within the church, so so traditionally we've had the view of uh, hey, we have our missionaries and we're going to send our missionaries overseas. And so those guys got to be equipped. We don't just want to send them. We need to equip them. So 
then we say, okay, let's get them their training. And so we're, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll put them through the training. Uh, and then as a process of that training, you know, they're learning about culture and language learning and how to relate to people that are different than, uh, than you are, you know, and basically expanding, expanding our worldview, you know, to incorporate uh, different people from different cultures. And then we send them over there, right? Then they go over there and they go and do their work. Well, the, those two things, are, that's, that's not long, no longer happening, right? So we still have over there, but now it's coming right, in, right into here, right? Right into our midst, right into our neighborhood, two doors down. You know, it's coming right here in our midst. And so as a, as a person and a Christian who wants to reach out to people that are in my neighborhood, I got to cross culture. Right. Where, where that, that didn't used to be such a big thing. It wasn't such a lift where now that's basically what we've got to do. We, we've got to bridge this thing and, and uh, view, view missions more both and now and that everybody needs, is involved in this cross-cultural endeavor. So basically, uh, there, there, are things, there are things to be done. And, and most important is to start educating yourself on what that looks like. I mean, there are resources out there about you know, uh, how to be culturally sensitive. And you can, you can look up specific people groups that you're interested in. And you can, you can uh, Google that and find those people. And, and you can get information about how you would actually engage that person, you know, in terms of a greeting or food or uh, their language or, you know, all of those things. Every culture has got its own, its own thing. Right. So I would just say that, that uh, we need to start educating ourselves on how to cross that culture and we can provide help there. So uh, in terms of like a, a training exercise that if people were interested, we could come to their church and we could do, a cross-cultural engagement training thing about how to reach out to your neighbors two doors down that are a different culture than you. And just some things that we could uh, provide for you or help you to think through in terms of wanting to do that, to mobilize, to mobilize the group, the congregation. And I think everybody, yeah. before they do any of the things that we talked about before, should do, should do that. Because I think in as Americans, I mean, we are so used to other people deferring to us for a, a wide variety of reasons. And I think you make a fantastic point that in the past, I think cultural intelligence was something, well, yeah, when you go over there, you better figure out, you know, how to get along in a place like, you know, wherever you're going. But yeah, now the situation is reversed. And again, we don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to try to understand someone else's culture, but then you can just kiss goodbye any, um, idea that you could ever have of reaching those people. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, and there are things, it's interesting, like I, you, there was one resources you, sh you shared with me and I don't know, maybe you could tell people how to get it, but, but I was kind of skimming through that. And, you know, I've done some of that stuff with the, again, in the military. That's what's interesting too. The military, oh, a yeah. massive part of <laughs> military education is cultural intelligence. And if you, because so much has gone wrong when you don't have cultural intelligence and so much of the military, especially in the last 20 years has been trying to, you know, win hearts and minds and all that kind of stuff, you know, so that, so that there aren't these, there aren't these uh, attacks and that sort of thing. But I guess what I would say is um, that by, by beginning by, by really honestly asking the question, because even a Christian coming from Afghanistan 
is still going to have certain cultural oh, sure. things that, that like you, like I was reading through that one resource and one example was how, how they treat the Bible, you know, like the actual physical Bible. So, you know, we'll just like, for me, I mean, my Bible's worn out and I write in it and I, you know, I mean, I, there's, there's nothing sacred yeah. about that particular, the material of it, you know, you, but you, cause you can get one anywhere. You can download it. You, you know, some people chuck it on the ground, they put it, you know, they put their coffee on it. But, but for example, how, how does an, how does an Afghan Christian uh, treat the Bible? So I, you know, it's a, it's an honored, it's an honored piece, right? So it's not something that you would just treat, uh, that you would just treat haphazard, haphazardly, right? And and in my own experience in Mongolia, so so a book a book is always elevated in the room. <laughs> so so when I come with my Bible and I set it by my side or I put it, you know, on the ground next to me because I don't have room where I'm sitting, those kinds of things are are uh, you know not cool. So <laughs> yeah, it communicates, is, you know, yeah, it communicates what, you know, what you think, you know, so yeah. And, and it's, and like, and in that example too, I think it's important because it's, it's a, it's a lesson for the entire picture of what we're talking about. It's not like, well, you know, we have to change in order. So, you know, to pl- placate these folks that have come here because some people have that attitude. No, no, it's, it's like, you're trying to speak the language by your actions. So, so in now, well, if if a young Afghan, you know, if if like a twenty-something um, Afghan refugee who's a Christian comes here and they treat the Bible a certain way, and then they get married and have kids, and their kids are like fully, you know, in, enmeshed in American culture, they're, they'll probably treat the Bible differently. But like sure. for now, a first-generation person, it's like shocking to see some of these things. The other interesting thing that's gonna that the church is gonna have to contend with too is the 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 way that men and women interact with one another, especially uh, now as we, it's funny because we have like these two extremes because on one hand, we're trying to be like, so, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're not showing this male dominant kind of thing in our, in our American culture. But then you have an Afghan refugee come over. They've got a different picture of how men and male female relationships work. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it was, we got to give them room, right? You got to give them room because the, the, you know, when, when they come over, they have their culture and, and uh, you know, quite rigid views between men and women and, and, uh, and what that looks like and eye contact for a woman to make eye contact with a man and, you know, for proximity and for a man to touch a woman and, and you know, uh, who's not her husband, you know, those kind of things, right. That are, that are basically, I, I think it will dissipate over, you know, the second generation, third generation, those things will become a bit more relaxed probably, but the first people that are coming in, it, it's just what they know, what they have, right? So we, we know they have to move our way. They're, they're American, right? They're Americans now. So they, we know they have to move this way to the American culture, American society. But at the same time, this, this little window, this little window that when they first come in and we first have first contact with them, you know, let's try to, let's try to uh, learn and accommodate what some of those things are. And, and that would be obviously one of one of them is uh, just the relationship between the man and, and the woman. And, you know, you know, men can obviously shake hands and hug and, and, uh, but you would never do that to a gal, you know, like you, we would do here when we, in our Christian circles where we hug each other goodbye or whatever. You know. And I love that what you said there, because it is, it's a window. It's a, it's a period of time. And, and you said, you know, creating space for that. And the space really is about grace. I mean, it's, it's showing grace and mercy and, yeah. and trying to step into their, their world so that you can really demonstrate that love 
that has been shown that's been shown to us. And and I want people to hear you talk about this because I want them to understand your the depth of competency that you have to be able to come alongside and help our churches not only in the connection of of connecting them with practical, you know, help, but also helping them understand some of the um, some of the things that they need to know. What what other things do you think a church should should consider before? Are there some things they should you know? If you were teaching a cultural intelligence or even just preparing a church, what are some other things that you might talk to them about? Yeah, I think uh, probably food. You know, food would be one that uh, would be important because you know we we like to do our we like food, right, in our churches and stuff like that. But if you're going to engage an Afghan, basically anyone from that part of the world as a one-off first contact kind of thing or whatever, and, and uh, you're going to have a meal together, invite them to a meal, you you got to be careful about what you're, what you're serving, right? So in a, um, uh, yeah, so, so they, they have a, what's it, halal foods that they eat, right? So they don't have certain ingredients in them. And that would even go to, you know, the stuff we buy in cans and the different things that we use. Some of the contents of those things are not halal, right? So if you're inviting somebody to a meal, you would want to first say that, that, that hey, we would like to invite you to a meal and it will be fully halal. That, that basically sends a message to them that, hey, oh, they kind of know, you know, Whereas if you just say, "Hey, you want to come over? We want to go out to eat," and they're going to say, "Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like to make it," you know, because they're worried about the contents of the food. But if you preface it by saying something like that, you know, just these little things, right? That we're, we're going to have a halal meal. Well, yeah. they'd be more um, more reasonable to want to come along. Well, yeah, and it shouldn't be that hard to understand. I mean, for a lot of us, we we ask our vegan friends to come over for dinner, and they're yeah. like, oh, I don't know, there might be, you know, a chicken wing over there, and it's going to destroy my entire metabolism. So it's not like it's yeah. that far off from where we are as Americans, right. you know, right, understanding right. dietary restrictions. I mean, that's just like you, you sure. can't go to a conference or anything without checking what kind of meal you want. Yeah, right. Are you gluten free? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that shouldn't be a huge yeah. hurdle, but it should it's, be a big deal. No, but but it's but yeah. but it's the particulars though of what we mean when we say halal, and and by the way, I mean, you know, this is another thing too of 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 understanding there's like, if, if it's a country that's predominantly Muslim, that, that, you know, Muslim culture and faith are very much intertwined with government and everything else. So it's, so you can't, it's very hard for anyone to separate, you know, just because you're maybe not a Muslim doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to have certain Muslim influences or, or cultural practices. Cause that's just part of your whole world. Right. I mean, in the same way right, that, right. that, that a secular person here does, does Christian type of things without even knowing that they do them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little side thing. It's a, a story from Mongolia, just real quick from, uh, from a young man, uh, a young man who uh, came to Christ uh, through a Bible study that we, we were giving, and um, and then he he went home, and he had you know has his Bible. He went home, and and uh, sometime later, he came running over to he reads his Bible on, by himself. He comes running over to the house, and he comes into my door, and, and he's like, "What have I done?" You know, he's all freaked out, and he said, "I ate the food off the 
God shell. So, so in their family, they, they have a you know, traditional Mongolian, right? They have a shelf in the house and they put bread or little things up there to offer to the spirits, right? And so he read the scripture, you know, don't eat food offered to idols or whatever. And by himself, right, he comes to this conclusion and he, you know, and then he comes in the house. And he just totally freaked out about it. You know, I said, it's OK. It's OK. Wow. What's, yeah. a, what's a thing? What's a thing offered to an idol? But but it's that whole thing, right, about mm-hmm. culture. And, you mm-hmm. know, we have these different things that we carry with us and it's all going to be new, you know, and, and uh and I think really uh, it's good to just be willing to learn. Yeah. Right? Learn and adapt. And- right. And and even just that spirit of curiosity that we should always have for everything. I mean, that's where intelligence comes from is is always being curious and, and asking questions and learning. And then you're going to make little mistakes along the way. And I think that's another thing to say, too, uh-huh. is with any culture, I mean, you're going to make little faux pas and, and whatever. And I think that's important to state because we have this cancel culture and we're so quick to call someone like a racist uh-huh. or a hater. And it's like, yeah. no, I didn't, didn't mean to do that, you know? So, so then what happens is people don't want to do anything because they're like, well, I'm afraid of making one mistake. And right. then because they're afraid of making one mistake, then they don't want to have anything to do with it because they're going to be shamed or, you know, canceled or whatever. So I think that's important right. to bring up as well. Yeah, to be to be willing, uh, you you know, just be you, right? Make 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 it, make some adjustments, some cultural adjustments that you think you can, but don't stress, don't get stressed out about it, right? So we we had a we had a, a couple of older gals in in our uh, in one of our meetings who were, you know, we start talking about reaching out to the Afghan refugees, and 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 they're like, oh, we can we can't do anything, you know, we we wouldn't be able to do anything. What can we do? You know, they're, they're afraid to venture out, you know, so you got to balance that like, hey, let's go for it. You know, let's educate ourselves a little bit, but let's just go for it. And love, the love of Christ, hmm. you know, is is uh, is what will speak through all of it. You know, I love that. That that is it is. So it is. This is such a this conversation is so good because it does involve risk. It involves love. It involves risk. It involves mercy. It involves, it involves um, immersing yourself and seeing the world through someone else's eyes. It probably also means laying down some of your own preconceived notions or even preferences sometimes, and you're going to be uncomfortable, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, it, I mean, there's always that. Um, there's always that unsure you're just a little bit unsure right as you're relating uh relating to people from a different culture but but to not do it right you're um you're so much richer as you engage in a relationship than if you were just stand by and be the observer right because they they give so much you know and and it Mm -hmm. gives you the chance to impart uh to them and and uh have the relationship that just kind of Um, more knits us together than apart right but if we stay apart from one another you know that's we we already know what that looks like right and i would imagine yeah you're right and i would imagine that it wouldn't take very long before you yourself would become a semi-expert i mean because there's not that many people that actually do this so you begin to engage you have a few meetings you do a few things you try a few things and all of a sudden you're able to talk about this oh yeah 
and right and encourage people and and because you've got your own examples of what what has worked what hasn't worked and then it is very interesting and it, and it and, and I'm what I mean is it should this idea should spread because because in this 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 act these actions we're talking about should should be contagious in our churches because when we really look at this again you made it so clear uh, we have examples now of of people who've been in the exact same boat that were in the same boat 20 30 40 50 years ago and and look at look at how they've become. So we're so glad that they're here. I mean, the, the number one thing is that you know we want to see them come to Christ. Well, the number one thing is we want to show them love, and then obviously it's God's job right. to redeem them. And so it's not like we're trying to oh here here's some food uh-huh. so you can yeah convert them. Yeah, right. And I think that's important too. I think yeah. we have to yeah. make sure that 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 in fact <laughs> this gives so many things that I'm thinking. You know, it, we got to be careful because you. When we talk about cultural intelligence, some people have to be intelligent in their own culture first before they can be intelligent in someone else's <laughs> culture. I mean, Christian, I love yeah. Christians, but we can be a weird bunch sometimes, and it's like we are like we can be like Amway salesmen, you know. And it's like, yeah. oh, come over, uh, you know, you want to buy some shampoo? And it's like, wait a second, yeah, right. I, I, I thought you wanted to be my friend. So I right. mean, even how much of yeah. that, you know, talk about that oh, for a minute yeah. because I mean, you're a missionary for a long time and. We we, oh, yeah. we got to be so careful about the bait and switch and about the underlying motives. I mean, what what can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah. So so th- this is and I would say this if you're going to be doing an ESL class or something like that, right? So so um, so in the mission field in Mongolia, there they were criticized. The missionaries were criticized because the fact that they came over on short term teams to do these short two-week English, you know, uh, camps or something like that, right? But the ulterior motive was the was the gospel, right? So they wanted to check off the missionary box and say that they shared Christ with somebody. And so that became a predominant thing. And, and they said, you're like, your guys are like lying because you, you get, you've put the English out there. It's something we really need and want. And then you're putting the bait and switch like you talked, but then we're putting the, the, gospel in front of that right you're you're not giving us room but you know how about just room to think and process and 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 allow allow a journey to actually take place for me you know a a spiritual journey like like most of us experience right so so uh you know giving that space is important so if you if you do of course you would want to make sure that you're not you know just going for a convert or something like that i mean that's that's just crucial I'm so glad that we talked about that. Yeah. Because yeah. again, it's seeing the world through the eyes of the other person. And then the other thing is, well, what if I was, I mean, can you imagine being leaving every being, you know, shipped off to a brand oh, new country? Well, and, and even this the the brief amount of times I've spent in other countries, mentally, it's like three times as hard just to get through the day. Right. Because right. the simple things that we do without even thinking, you have to think about everything. Where is the bathroom? How do I ask for this? Where do I get food? Why is this happening? How do I, you know, what's money, what's the, the currency that every, everything is, you know, and then you, and then you, right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And, and so, so you got all of that. And then all of a sudden somebody reaches out to you and you're like, oh man, this is really cool. And then you, and then, you know, they hand you, you know, imagine they hand you a tract for their faith and you're going, well, now I'm confused. And, and so you put your defenses up and it's not that we can't ever share Christ, but I mean, we just have to be human about it and not be mechanistic. And so results driven about that. So I would just encourage, you know, uh, it's like the horror stories of, of ages past when, 
when people would have those tracks that look like dollar bills and they'd leave them instead of a tip, yeah, you know, yeah. here's a tip for you, come to Jesus. And it's like, well, wow, that works. Now the, the, yeah. the server can't, you know, pay a rent because some dude, you, yeah. know, you can't, you can't send a the track to your landlord, you know? So, so one of the reasons I'm, you know, Gail and I are so passionate about this is we, we have received, we, you know, we know what it's like to be that guy and we've received the, the grace and the mercy and the trust, the trust, you know, that, that they would, that they would give to somebody who they don't even know. And, and, uh, you know, that it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, our, our house burned down and, and, uh, when we were in Mongolia and the community rallied around us and they helped us rebuild the house and, you know, it basically bonded us with the community and the gospel went out and, and there was fruit, but, but we, you know, we, we've we've partaken of the grace and the mercy and the love and the trust of, of people in a community that we didn't know, and and you cannot put a value on it. Right? It it is so it is so uh, amazing. Yeah. So that's why we want to do it for these folks that are coming here. Again, uh, this is so important because this conversation. I want people, if you're listening to this, you got to reach out to Tom and, and because he has the contacts. Now, Tom, you, you live, you guys have been all over the world. I mean, mostly in, in Asia, um, yeah. but you, you're now living in Southern California. Our district goes all the way up. And, and I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this outside the district too, it's not like Tom, you know, won't take your phone sure. call. I mean, obviously, but but, you know, just at, by way of our particular district, you know, we go all the way out to Idaho, Utah, um, you know, Bay Area, down to San Diego, out to El Paso. Yeah. So we have a very large geography. And I've tried to really say, hey, listen, every square inch of our district matters. But you would be able oh, yeah. to, you, you'll help any church. And and so, Anybody. Yeah. yeah, so you've got, if you're listening to this, you've got to call, reach out to email, contact Tom yeah. and say, Hey, help us. Like what, help us take the first step. You, you mentioned a minute ago, a few resources. What are some other resources that, that people could look up to, to learn more? So uh, ours, the, the two that, uh, the main two was probably three of them that, uh, that we would recommend somebody just to get a first taste into it is, is uh, home for refugees, home for refugees. Uh, Minda Schweitzer is the one who's put that together. And um, that's this community sponsorship teams or groups. So she, she's kind of organizing that. And, and she's a, a, her and her husband were with crew and, uh, and they've come off and they're focusing now on this, uh, on this ministry to refugees. And another one, this is more local, but there's probably someone like this in your, in your community. If, if not, maybe you could start it, but um, this is called voice of the refugees in Anaheim, California. Voice of the Refugees. Check their website out, and you can kind of see some of the things that um, that they do. And then more, on, you know, more on the national, the national, uh, the national stage would be uh, World Relief would probably be the one we would line up more you know, closely with. Would be World Relief would be another one to look at. Again, they're more of an aid agency. They they have to uh, they have to blend a lot of different things, you know, uh, faith faith based and crossing over into other areas as well. And so, uh, but they're good good groups. 
And, and yeah, these are places you can go to, to look at and get resources and things. But really, again, I just want to steer people to you. I mean, you're, you're, you can be an agent uh, for if, any yeah, church. If, if I don't know that, if I don't know it, I'll find it for you. Right. Well, I'll, I'll let me do the legwork for you if you don't have the time to do it. And uh, we'll find out what's going on in your area and, and uh, we can try to provide some help. So just kind of as we kind of wrap this this time up, I mean, I, I, yeah. I love there's so much more that we could have talked about, but I, I love that we just scratched the surface and I just wanted to see I wanted people to see the different dimensions that you can help the churches. But just tell us as we're thinking this, you know, it's getting to the end of this and we've had this conversation, the urgency. Remind us once again of the urgency of this. because I don't think we really understand that like that we, it's not in front of us the way it should be. Yeah. Help us understand the real urgency that we are dealing with right now. So, so you know what, guys, they're coming, right? They're coming, and it's not just Afghanistan. Like right? we saw what happened at the at the border, the Haitians that came in last month, and and uh, people are coming into this country, and and wherever we line up politically, uh, that's awesome, right? I, that 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 doesn't matter. I th- I mean, it matters to you in, in the political sense, and that's great. But once people are in this country, you know, we, we have a responsibility. We really do. Right. And, and, you know, I could quote scriptures for you all day long, but I won't. It, it's just that we, you know, we need to love the foreigner in our midst. Right. And then, uh, and Jesus talks about it in, in uh, Matthew 25. So, so we, we know, you know, we know that we have a responsibility to reach out and, they're here and they're coming. And in terms of the Afghans, we got the first wave. The first wave is already coming into the neighborhoods. It's all just right now as I'm speaking to you, and there's more coming. So it's not over. So for the next several years, uh, we're going to be having these Afghan refugees coming into our communities. And we need to, we need to step up. You know, The Evangelical Let's Free Church. Yeah, the Evangelical Free Church has traditionally been so good with world missions. And my uh, my friend Cedric Brown from the Eastern District, I think, has said it so well. You know, we do the ends of the earth really well. It's the uh-huh. Judea and Samaria that we're, not, that we're not good at. Because we tend to be, our churches tend to be fairly educated. Our churches tend to be relatively self-sufficient and it's easier for the, the higher you go up on the socioeconomic scale, the easier it is to send money sure. so that someone else can do the job. And sure. what you're saying is yeah. we just can't afford uh, to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just do it. Let's just, us do it. We can, because yeah, because you are in yeah. proximity now before it was like, well, gee, do you want to get on the boat and go over and where? No, you're, you're, yeah. you already been sent there. You know, they're coming to, to us and they're coming to you. And the, the, the other thought, again, I, I brought this up last time and, and people might have different opinions about it, but I saw with my own eyes when I was in El Paso and we were with the border encounters trip that we did with Abara ministry a few months ago and, and some of your, um, you know, we were with Im- sure. immigrant hope and some mm-hmm. people you work with, but what was striking to me and I was there and I was there was I came away with an observation and the observation is why is it that the, the people who are closest to the, to the center of, of the problem when it comes to the um, immigration challenge that we're having in Uh the United States. Uh Why is it that the ones who live there and know the people and work there and have given their lives to it, 
why is it that they typically seem to be, at least the ones that I met, very left of center theologically from me? Uh-huh. Why are they to the left of me? And where are the people who are in line with my theology? And why are they not they're not here. They are here. They're, 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 they're there in the city, but they aren't on the ground. Now, I'm not saying that they're, none of them are there, but the people that we found to mm-hmm. get us the opportunities and take us to, the, to, the, to the, um, the shelters for asylum seekers and to walk us across the border and to interact with the Border Patrol, they were all people that we would probably disagree on our EFCA doctrinal statement. They probably <laughs> would not sign off on our doctrinal statement. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit more of a loosey-goosey <laughs> idea of certain things. And they're all young and they're all super passionate. And I, I, and I was struck by that. And I, and I, and I only bring it up again because I'm still, I'm still like kind of haunted by that and going, okay, we got to fix that. Uh So, so for me, it's, uh, um, you know, so I look at it this way, the Romans passage to, you know, uh, where it talks about obey the governing authorities. Right. And, and then, so you you have this, you have this uh, passage here and, so in my early Christian walk, I saw that as said, I, it's a buy. I, I didn't do it cognitively or I didn't do it, you know, like deliberately or whatever. Right? But when I read that, read those passages, I said, yeah, we need to obey the governing authorities. And, these, you know, someone's illegal or they're, you know, they're, uh, they're in process, you know, you may not even be illegal. But it's like, I'm like, I don't, I don't even have to think about it. Right. Because I used, I checked the box. Right. Obey. So I just checked that box and I don't have to think about it. Well, then there's so many other plethora of other scriptures that talk about what we're supposed, how we're supposed to treat people in our midst who are foreign and different, right? So, I kind of I I I use that as my little uh, a little escape before in my theology in my mind, so that I didn't have to engage those people. Where 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 now it's like I'm like I can't do that, I can't do that. That, that that's you know we gotta they're in our midst. We so use our myths. Let's go ahead and reach out to them. Why not? You know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because we use, and I've done that. I mean, you use scripture yeah. to insulate yourself <laughs> from that which you should do. And yeah. again, not that everyone's called to that the level of engagement that you and Gail have. No, it's just personal. Yeah. It's just but really, yeah, but there's something that yeah. yeah. So I, this is cha- <laughs> it's just challenging. I just throw it out there just as a thought because it's a podcast and yeah. we can just talk about whatever we want for as long as we want. Yeah. But but it's but it's it's a thought and it's something that's that that I gotta you know it's like okay that I, it's not a, it's not a it's not a study. It was an anecdotal observation, uh-huh. and and it it bothered me. Um, and I just had other questions along with it. So in any case, listen, the main point here is that the Afghan refugee crisis is, is here. It's real. It's happening right now. Just because you don't see it on Fox News, CNN, uh, MSNBC, all the other places does not yeah. mean that it is not in full steam. Um, as Tom, as you said, um, we've got people who are, who are integrating into our communities. And the question is going to be who's, who is going to welcome them and yeah. who is going to be the hands and feet of of that bring good news to them. So I, I can't, you got to say it one more time, Tom, you, he is our guy. So, so if you're listening to this, call Tom and say, Hey, help us come to our church. He will come to your church. He will help you. He will work with you. He will talk to your leadership. He will talk with your missions, your missions boards, your, your uh, outreach teams, whatever it is. He will direct you to resources. He will get you in touch with who the, where the refugees actually are and who the agencies you need to contact. He can do all of that stuff. So it's a one-stop shop with Tom. 
call yeah, him. Stop here and then I'll send you, we'll get you sorted. Yeah, we'll get it all figured out. Hey, thanks so much, Tom. Man, I'm telling you, this is just a, you are a huge asset to the Evangelical Free Church of America, you and Gail. I'm so grateful that you're with us. And and my prayer is that our churches will lean in and lean on people like you who've been called to this and that great things will happen because of it. Well, thank you, Tim. Thanks so much. 